0: Hello folks, and welcome to the Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, the place to get up-to-the-minute information for cutting-edge learning design. So listeners, Graham and I are here today with a colleague of ours, Linnea Marvel, and we are wanting to dig in. We got such a lot of interesting comments from our last podcast really trying to figure out where we're going to put um, emphasis in the next few years. The future of expert creation versus crowdsourced curation is still quite a hot topic. Graham, why don't you kick us off?
1: Well, you know, last time, Joanne, we were talking about particularly the changing role for the instructional designer or, or even whether instructional designers were going to become obsolete in, in the face of this kind of shift. But Linnea started talking to us, uh, along with other people, around the fact that one thing that's changing, that's driving a lot of this, is the learner themselves and the learner's approach to learning. So tell us a little bit more, Linaire, about how you see the learner and the learner's approach being a little bit different than how it used to be.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, when I think about our learner today, I, I actually think about an experience that I had um, nine or ten years ago watching my grandson playing soccer. And um, I happened to turn to my daughter-in-law and use an idiom she didn't recognize. And she said to me, What is that? What do you mean? Where did that come from? And I didn't really know what its origins were. And as we sat there, I looked down at my phone and realized that sitting in the middle of the soccer field, I could actually use a browser, go online and get the answer to that question. It was novel for me 10 years ago. It was novel for a lot of people 10 years ago, um, or maybe perhaps a little bit more. Um, but in recent years, it's just become what we do. Um, people talk about Googling it. It's become you know, a common language um, to Google answers to things. So have our learners changed? Maybe cognitively they haven't, but I, I do believe that they have changed significantly in terms of how they um, have learned to learn. And uh, schools are taking advantage of you know available resources and information in the cloud. People are used to um, going out and doing research and gaining information Um, from source online sources. So I think it shapes the way in which learners see themselves the way in which they approach or think about learning. Um, And it means that most of the learners today come to us with a skill set they didn't have 10 years ago. So where they used to lean on a teacher to purvey information to them. People now lean on, um, uh, pre-developed information, whether it's videos or blogs, or uh, whether it's videos or blogs or whatever, they're just leaning on uh, content that somebody else developed. So it's that way in which I think the learner is changing.
1: So that makes sense, I think, in the sense that so much more information is available to people, accessed in different ways. And I think what we were talking about last time, Joanne and I, was the fact that some of the information, however, that people are accessing... You know, it's not always the best information or the right information. You know, we can Google something and we can end up on the wrong web page to get the information we want. It may not, for example, be reliable. It may not be packaged well enough for us to to consume or whatever. That was some of our concern around the fact that the content itself may not be as robust and as well Mm -hmm. put together as we might hope.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's a viable concern. Um, I think that um, when we look at how our role as instructional designers is changing, we have to consider that part of what we're responsible to now is helping to structure the learning journey that an individual participates in. So, we help to structure the context in which they seek content um, or we're structuring the available content to them. But I think it also requires us as instructional designers to get um, much clearer about what the learning objectives need to be, about what um, the learner is learning towards, Um, So competency models become uh, much more important. Um, Learning objectives become much more important because they help to structure the context within which people are seeking learning. But I do think one of the exciting things about this possibility, about the direction that I think instructional design is pushing us at the moment, is that um, learners can, in fact, learn from more than one person about the same content, which is kind of exciting in the sense that not everybody receives everyone that same way. And so, um, or <clears throat> responds to the same verbalization of things. And so we have an exciting opportunity to bring people perspectives on the same content that we don't have if we're if we're the deliverable
1: deliverer
2: of the content
1: yeah so how would we as instructional designers go about helping learners in in this new kind of world you know because i i worry that a learner who wants to learn about coaching in linkedin learning will find probably about 70 to 90 different options without a clue as to knowing what is within those options and whether that's gonna help them with a the particular coaching question or challenge that they have. How, how does an instructional designer possibly help what could be a fruitless search through just a myriad? And it becomes therefore, for me, a very time inefficient learning process.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question, Graham. I I think it's a question that for which we don't necessarily have all the answers yet. Um, our world is changing, you know, that's a fact. We're, we're increasing the amount of knowledge available exponentially, you know, every month. And so, um, Yeah, I do think that as an instructional designer, we have the responsibility to help people understand how to gain the knowledge that they actually need. And to do that, I think we have to put it in context. Um, That is, I can go out and be educated to a particular topic, but as instructional designers, at least in, in the corporate world, Our responsibility is to help people translate that into something that they can use on the job. And I think this is where we come into play in a much more powerful way. We can do that in a number of ways that I can think of today. One one of them is just um, the methodology through which that content gets delivered. We can do things, for instance, like pre-assess and then help people based on the assessment of the knowledge, which we've structured, we've structured that assessment based on what we think they're going to need for how they're going to use it, Um, then we can deliver content that speaks directly to that need. And that content could be um, a variety of things, so the learner has some choice about how they're going to receive it, but we've already said this is viable content. So that's that's one way in which I think we can do that, or one example. But I, I think we are called upon right now to be much more creative. I think coaching, mentoring, um, somebody who helps answer the question for learners: "Am I doing this right? You know, am I am I, did I get what I needed to get out of the content?" becomes a much more important question for us to ask.
0: It almost sounds like you're asking for. Um an instructional design ingredients label on courses Uh, like you would on a soup can. How much of it is this sort of activity? How much of it is this kind of content? Um, When do we teach learners to be savvy consumers of that kind of information? Because as instructional designers, you'd have to put the label on. Um, But even in the grocery store, we're not very good at looking at what's in a package Um, Mm -hmm. it's that consumption that really concerns Mm -hmm. me.
2: What do you think? That's an excellent point, Joanne. I think that's, (laughs) it's a super important point. (laughs) If we, if we think about, um, the, the direction that instructional design seems to be going at the moment, then that particular point you just made becomes terribly important. It's our responsibility now to think about Um, teaching learners how to learn in this context, um, how to make evaluation about what is going to be usable or good or excellent content. It may be that we have to teach them how to read labels um, in addition to creating them. But our our responsibility shifts as we look at how content gets delivered to people. On the other hand, we could make it a really exciting and viable opportunity to, um, as instructional designers, not just shove a lot of content at people, um, but to um, seriously explore the question, how do we deliver content, (coughs) excuse me, Um, to explore the question of how we deliver content in a way that makes it meaningful, even if we're not the developer.
1: I think in our last conversation, Joanne, you and I talked a little bit about this idea and we used the phrase and Linnea, you'll remember this phrase, the phrase "wrapper," where we talked about providing something that gave, if you like, the context to the actual core content that made that content relevant or more relevant to the situation the learner might be trying to address. Is that something that you you agree is, is is a kind of direction we should be thinking in terms of instructional designers?
2: Absolutely. I think it's another form of the kind of solution I was mentioning earlier. I, I do believe it's... Um, exceptionally important to help learners make the translation between the content that they're learning and how they're gonna use it. This whole question of relevancy speaks to retention. And so if we aren't helping them to make that content relevant to the context in which they're learning, then they're just acquiring knowledge. They haven't necessarily made that leap to employing that knowledge as a skill.
0: I think that's a really good point because the research um, is pretty clear today that unguided or minimally guided learning approaches, um, no matter how they're structured, just are not very effective. Um, they leave the learner unsure if they have a full mastery Um, because they may have unintentionally and unknowingly missed things. So I think that wrapper is really critical way to give context and meaning that encourages that application. Learn this, now try and use this on the job in this kind of way.
1: I, I tell you what I think is interesting as well, and I think you folks know that I'm probably at the more cynical end of the spectrum here, because if I'm being cynical, I think that sometimes learners when uh, accessing a range of possible solutions without this kind of wrapper, I think they'll be inclined to pick the easiest, the most appealing, you know, if I look and see 80 things on coaching, uh, my first instinct is to think, oh, oh there's one in four minutes, I'll, I'll do that. I think that's only four minutes, I can deal with that. I'm not going to look at that four-hour piece that looks like a bit of a long-winded way to get what i need you know so i think people might might be accessing preferred solutions rather than correct or appropriate solutions but i'll tell you what makes it interesting to me i think a lot of responsibility for if you like telling learners that they've got what they need that responsibility Probably comes down to a, a manager and a supervisor now, doesn't it? Rather than in the classroom, you know, we used to be able to present an idea, see an idea demonstrated, give some feedback, and then say, How does that apply to reality? A lot of times, the rapper's going to have to do some of that. How does that apply to reality? But the manager in the day to day coaching is the person who's going to validate and reinforce what's being learned or or am i putting too much onus on the manager in that concept
2: well i think that depends on how well we do our job as instructional designers graham because if we can help learners set the criteria or to know the criteria by which they will know that they have adequately um, acquired the learning that we want to help them acquire then I think we've done our job well. And I think this is one of the things that, um, as instructional designers, this is not new. (laughs) This has been an ongoing challenge for us um, with subject matter experts who want to shove tons of content at learners, organizations that want us to grab content very quickly and put it into a context without actually really seriously examining up front, what are the learning objectives, and what's the minimal content that we need to provide in order to get to that um, that end state? So now it requires us as an instructional designers to be much more disciplined about this. Um, it becomes our responsibility now, I think, to help the learner get what they're aiming at, to understand what the target state looks like and ha- and the criteria by which they'll know that they've achieved it. If we don't do that, then you're absolutely right. We end up pushing learners into a place where they have to lean heavily on, um, on managers or coaches to tell them that they got it. Um, one of the concerns I have about rappers, and I do think that they're an excellent way of helping to structure um, the what you're calling crowdsourced um, content. Um, but um, I, I think that I think that they can also be a disadvantage in that time is another piece that is changing for learners today. It's um, especially, as a result of COVID, we have people who are much more inclined towards work-life balance than they've ever been before. And the workload hasn't changed. So what that means is that people are having to be much more efficient about what they're doing. Their time gets consumed with needing to meet deadlines for work and finding the time for, um, for learning often gets eclipsed by that. So if we can't, and I think also in that context, Learners are much more accustomed to a kind of sound bite culture. Um, so um, they're out there looking for answers that they can get to as quickly as possible if we structure things in a way that is, that doesn't support them for just in time learning, opportunities, um, for <clears throat> opportunities to get pieces of that learning in between other things that they're required to do, <coughs> excuse me, we don't uh, um, we don't support them in the environment in which they live well. So I think we have to look at the environment that's changing around them, the culture that's changing around us, in the context of how we structure things. So wrappers are one piece of what we can do, um, and I think we have to look at um, uh, things like um, what what great looks like um to lean much more heavily on defining what it looks like if you do the job really really well and what it takes to know how to do each piece of that
0: it's an interesting (laughs) thought that you bring up here to dig into really understanding that domain knowledge of what does it take to be really good at a role or what does it take to be an expert in a domain of content Um, I worry that curation has become synonymous with this crowdsourcing um, recommender systems, how many people liked this, um, people like you also liked this book or this course or this piece. It's not really a good representation until you have millions of people looking at it. And then how do they define like you? Uh, just because you uh, work in a call center doesn't mean that you have a similar crossover or just because you work in a bank doesn't mean you have similar crossover to everyone else who works in a bank. Um, I think we've got to really think about what that curation means. It's exciting to have access to good content, but it's the good part that just really It makes me wonder how we're going to uh, figure out this new direction. It used to be that instructional designers worked with experts. We created deep content that was tailored to a specific need. And now that specific need gets lost in large repositories. And Mm -hmm. unless the content's very granular, it's hard to even reuse it. And so many folks aren't reusing. They're still creating um, or leveraging other sort of databases like Degreed or LinkedIn, where I just think we need to uh, be active participants in the future of instructional design. I think
2: it would be very, very interesting to probe both the learner's experience of this and to probe what other instructional designers are doing to help structure that um amorphous content into something that has relevance for specific um, companies and specific roles and specific applications. Um, I think it could be a very exciting topic to look at what we're doing because it's an opportunity for us as instructional designers to grow um, and maybe to get better at what we do.
0: I like it. Listeners, look for more from us as we discuss how much the direction of learning is really changing and what we could do to redefine our role so that we are more active participants. Listeners, you've been listening to the Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, a regular podcast for cutting-edge learning design.